Good morning. It's great to see you all. It's great to, to have you in church and to be able to preach to you all. Um, uh, you know, it, it, uh, Mark, in his prayer, he basically, basically said my, uh, what I was going to say in my sermon, so uh, I, don't know, I don't know if I should preach or not. Uh, <laughs> but grace and peace to, uh, to you from God our Father and from Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Amen. You know, over the past two months, we've been going through Philippians. We've been diving deep in Philippians. And as we've been doing so, we got to, uh, we got to get to know the Apostle Paul, this man who, who was under house arrest, and he was writing these letters while he was in chains. As we, were re- as we read Philippians, as we read his epistles, we get this glimpse of the unique Christian outlook, this unique perspective that we have as Christians. For the past two months, we, we kind of got a taste of what it's like to be in house, under house arrest, right? Like, we all have just a little, a little taste of what it's like to be uh, stuck in our houses. Uh, in March and April, it was, it was kind of exciting, but by May, uh, I think we we're all done. I think we we're finished with it. Uh, by May, I started to see uh, less and less Facebook posts that really, uh, that were praising Fauci or the governors uh, or anybody who was having to make decisions about closings. And, uh, and I saw more and more posts criticizing the very same things that were being praised only weeks or months before, the very same people. And I know uh, some of you, you were rather angry about it all. And, and some of you, you may be angry about uh, the governor and our, and our county leaders, uh, their requirements for wearing masks in public. Uh, but I think it's safe to say that we're all done with this pandemic, right? We're all ready for it to be over. We're all ready for us to just go back to everyday life. While we were locked inside for two months, the author of Philippians, the Apostle Paul, he was locked in, he was imprisoned in Caesarea for two years. For two years, he was stuck in prison, even though the governor of Caesarea, Felix, knew that he was innocent. He thought he was innocent. But when Felix left and another governor came in, Paul, uh, Paul asked to be, have his case seen before Caesar, and so Paul went off to Rome. Or guess what? He spent another two years in house arrest. Paul... Paul's this interesting man. He is an apostle who, who wasn't, uh, wasn't called by Jesus alongside all the other apostles, but who nonetheless is called an apostle because he spent three years in the desert studying with Jesus, learning from him. Paul has a unique call to go out to the non-Jewish world and share the gospel. And yet for four years of that call, he was stuck in prison. What did Paul do about it? Was he angry about it? Did he complain about the injustice of his situation? Did he write fervent letters to uh, the people around him to, uh, to stand up for him and, and to plead his case and, and to support and aid him? Well, if, if he did any of those things, we don't know. We don't have those letters. But the letters that we do have, well, they paint a very different picture. You see, even though Paul was imprisoned under false pretenses, and he was stuck there for four years, he didn't complain. 
we see that Paul was solely focused on others. He was not concerned about his current situation. The reason for this is that Paul's joy flowed from his life in Christ. We see this throughout the book of Philippians, and we see this through the rest of his epistles, through the rest of his letters. At the very beginning of Philippians, Paul writes these incredible words, these actually rather challenging words, where he says, for to me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said these words as he was pondering about the outcome of his, of his trial. Was he going to be executed or was he going to be set free? And to Paul, it didn't really matter. It didn't really matter whether he lived or died because the outcome for him was going to be the same. He was going to be with Christ. For to live is Christ and to die is gain. He wasn't concerned about what was going to happen to him because he knew what was going to happen to him. He was going to be with Christ. And it's for this reason that he was able to say at the end of the letter, as we heard last week in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul wasn't saying that he, was, uh, that he can do whatever he wanted or he can have whatever he wanted because he willed it to be, because he has faith. No, he was saying that no matter the circumstances, no matter the good or the bad that he faces, he was going to be with Christ. No matter what he faced, he would not lose hope because he knew that Christ was going to be there with him throughout it all. This is the hope that Paul has. This is the hope that we have. See, Paul's life, it was all about the gospel. Whether it was in, in prison or in freedom, his focus was all on sharing the gospel. This season, it may be hard. Uh, it's, it's hard for a lot of us. Uh, a lot of you uh, have been furloughed, lost your jobs. We don't know if, if there's going to be any more support. But no matter what happens, let's not lose sight of the bigger picture. See, what happens now, it's, it, it's not where our freedom flows. You see, our, our, our values your value, your worth, your life, it doesn't come from your job or your ability to go out and do whatever you want. It doesn't come from being able to see friends or family. It doesn't come from your health. Our joy, it doesn't flow from these things. Instead, like Paul, it flows from Christ. This is what we have. This is the life that God has given to us in Christ it is because of what Christ has done for us that we have life. It is because of what Christ did on the cross that we have joy. And what he did on the cross, nothing and no one can take away from us. It's what Christ did on the cross that, that makes everything worth it. And, and that's what Paul does in, in Philippians. You see, Philippians centers on the bigger picture in Christ. Paul writes in the very center of this letter. He writes this beautiful hymn, this incredible poem about what Christ has done. This is what he says. This is Philippians 2, 6, and seven, uh, 6 through 11. He says, 
Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That is what it's all about. That is everything. This work that Christ has done, that's all we need. He stepped into our humble world, and he will carry us into his glory. This is the promise that he has given to you. Not because of your job, not because of whatever freedoms you may have, not because of your friends or your family or, or your health. He did this because he loved you. You have this promise because Christ did it for you. And because Christ did it for you, there is nothing that can take that away from you. So we can say with Christ, I can do all things. Who get, we can say along with Paul, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. By his humiliation, we have been exalted. We share in his exaltation. So what's left for us? Those words, for to me... For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That last part, it's, it's kind of morbid. To die is gain. But I think it's something that we can all really sense. To die is gain. A few weeks ago, I was preaching in another church. And at the end of the service, I, 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 taught, I had a nice conversation with an elderly gentleman. And after talking, I, I said, well, thank you for coming to the service. And it was really nice talking to you. And I hope to see you again soon. And he looked dead in my eyes. Not a smile, just super serious. And he said, I hope not. And I was a little taken aback. I was like, oh, what did I do? Was it really that bad? And, and so I asked him, I was like, uh, uh, why is that? And, and he said, I, I'm looking forward to being with my Savior. I want to be with Christ. We have everything. There is nothing in this world that we need because we have it all in Christ. And to die, well, to die is gain. Because in death, we wait for the return where we will live in eternal paradise with our God and with all fellow believers. This is what we have. That life that Christ gives to us, it's fulfilled. It's fulfilled when we die, where we were with him in paradise, where there is no more plague, where we no, have no more concern about money and there's no poverty and there, there's no more hatred. Because as Christians, we know death is not the end. Instead, it is the end of our suffering, the suffering of all those little annoyances that we have during the day, as well as all those grave injustices that we see throughout the world. In Christ's life, and the life that he brings to us into the world, we have paradise. What else do we need? So that begs the question then, well, 
why don't we just die? Why don't we just die already? And this is a conclusion that many Christians throughout the time have, have come to. If we have everything, what's the point of living? Of course, uh, killing oneself, it's, it's out of the question. It always has been. But putting oneself into harm's way, especially for a noble reason, well, that has been attractive. During one of the early Christian persecutions, there was a, uh, there was a young man whose father had just been, uh, been martyred. And when the young man heard about this, he had it in his mind to go to the Roman officials and turn himself in as a Christian. Well, his mother didn't want to lose her son, and so she hid all of his clothes, and he couldn't find them. And so he didn't go to the Roman officials because he refused to go in public naked. Stories like this, they, they litter Christian history. It's an attra- to die, it's attractive in a lot of ways. Life, liberty, happiness, we have it all. It's, it's ours already. We don't need to pursue it because we have it in Christ. And we will receive it upon his return. So why not just die? Why not death? Or if not death, why not wall ourselves off and cloister ourselves from the world? Because it's clear we don't need anything from the world. So why not just cloister ourselves? And in Philippians 1.21, in in, when Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That answer, to live is Christ, is crucial. And that's what Philippians is all about. To live is Christ. He is our joy in our life. He has saved us and given us eternal life. Nothing can take that away. It's done. There's nothing more for you to do. You have it. While his work in our lives may be finished, his work with our lives is not yet complete. Christ has reconciled us with our Father. He has given us eternal life. He has given us pure righteousness. When God looks at us, he sees his child. It's done. But Christ is not, God is not done with the work that he has with our lives. That is what, Paul, what we see in Paul's own life. And that is what we hear in the final words of his letters. Throughout Philippians, Paul tells us that our mission is not about us, it's about others. That's how Paul lived, and that's how we are called to live as well. Today we read in the final greeting of Paul to the church, we read that final greeting to, uh, to the church of Philippi, and by it we see a man looking forward to the coming of his Savior, to the completion of of the, of the righteousness and the life that he has, get, he has received in God. And yet, we see a man whose eyes are also look, looking outward towards those who God has placed in his life. One who is caring for those around him. As, as Mark read before, we, we hear that at the beginning of Paul's ministry, nobody really wanted to support him. The apostles were rather skeptical of him, and many Christians around, uh, around the world were skeptical of Paul because they knew who he was. He persecuted the church, so they didn't want to support him. And yet, Paul continued his ministry. He wasn't discouraged when no one would help him in his mission. And when he finally did receive that help from the Philippians, 
He didn't take it as a sign that he was right and everybody else was wrong. No, he just received it with thanksgiving, with thankfulness and praise. He received it as a gift. This is what he says. He says, Yet it was kind of you to share in my troubles. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me. In giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now that I seek the gift, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. You see, it wasn't about what Paul was going through. It was all about the people that God had sent Paul to. It was all about the people that needed to hear the gospel. And even when Paul was in prison, he didn't wallow in his misfortune. Instead, he used it as an opportunity to share the gospel in places where, where he couldn't share otherwise. And we read about this in Acts 21 through 28. Go, go and read it later today. It's, it's incredible. It reads like a comic book. When Paul was in prison, he was able to share the gospel with countless people that no one could reach, including the, the very same governor that imprisoned him. He was able to witness to Felix and his wife. He was able to carry the gospel to the island of Malta. And even after being shipwrecked and then bitten by a deadly snake, and after the people thought that he was a god, he was able to direct the people to the one true God. And then when he was in Rome, well, as we've been reading for the past couple months, for the past two months, he's able to witness to his guards and to the leaders. We see in some of his other epistles that he was able to help out with church disputes in the, the churches of Ephesus and Colossae, and, and he was able to communicate and share in the joy of Christ with the church in Philippi. We also read in the book of Philemon that because Paul was under house arrest, he was able to in, uh, encounter a runaway slave. In that encounter, he was able to share the gospel and bring that man to Christ. Through Paul's ministry, he was able to reconcile that man with his, with his master. And that slave, whose name is Onesimus, went on, according to church history, to become a bishop. Even though Paul was imprisoned, he was able to do great things and able to fulfill the call that he had from Christ. At the end of Philippians, uh, Paul just drops this bomb in his, in his final greeting. It's, it's kind of like he's, he's kind of just flexing. He says this. He says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Isn't that amazing? Even though Paul was locked up in chains in some house in, in Rome, he was able to carry the mission, carry the gospel in the house of Caesar. Now, who, who these people are, we, we don't really know. We don't know if they were just servants in his house or if they were actual members of the emperor's own household. No matter what, despite being in prison for four years, Paul was able to carry the gospel from the lowest of prisoners to the highest echelons of, Romans, of Roman society, even into the emperor's own household. 
in Christ, our hope and our joy is completed. We have everything we need. And when death finally takes our breath, Christ will carry us into paradise. See, there's nothing more that we need. There's nothing more that we could ever need than him. Through Christ, our hope is shared. It's through Christ that our hope is shared. You see, Paul, when you, if you read Acts 21 through 28 and you read about his epistles and all the superhero-like things that he did, it wasn't because he was special. It was because the Holy Spirit was working through him. It wasn't Paul, it was God. Now, Paul was special. I mean, he was an apostle. He was called specifically by Jesus Christ. And while we're not apostles, we are disciples, and so we share in that same calling as all the disciples that Jesus gives to them in Matthew 28, where he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We share in this calling. So like Paul, God uses us to share the gospel. If we simply wait around to die or we cloister ourselves off from the world, what good are we to those who have yet to hear the gospel, to those who are still waiting and sitting in darkness? That young man whose mother hid his clothes, his name was Origen. And he was one of the first great theologians of the church. As he lived his life, he set up a, a, a school. And because of his preaching, because of his teaching, thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ. Thousands of people heard the gospel, both in his life and after. We are called to share the gospel. And like Paul, we are going to face difficult situations. It's, it's just something that is guaranteed. Jesus himself guaranteed it to his followers. And while we may not, we probably aren't going to face false imprisonment, we're probably not going to get beaten or our lives threatened because of our faith, we're going to face hardships nonetheless. These past few months, for some of you, might have been that difficult, those difficult situations, those hardships that we are going to face. But do not lose heart. Do not lose hope. Remember. Remember where your joy flows from. Remember where your hope resides. Because like Paul, you are called to bring the gospel to those whom God has placed in your life. This means that our eyes are not to be focused on ourselves, but on others. Even when our own lives are difficult or things are inconvenient. And right now, things are inconvenient, aren't they? There's something that we can do. We can do things, that, whether they're big or they're little. Right now, one of those things that we can do is, is just wear a mask in public. A lot of people hate it. A lot of people complain about it. It's inconvenient. Wearing a mask, it's stuffy. It's hot. Sometimes it can be hard to breathe. Some of you, you, you may get some acne like your middle school again. Nobody likes wearing a mask. But by wearing a mask, at most, you could be saving someone's life. Or, or you might allow somebody to keep their business by preventing any spikes from happening. And at the very least, by wearing a mask, it allows you to, 
to, to ease the stress from somebody who is scared of what's going on. It's uncomfortable. But even something as simple as wearing a mask, it can be that demonstration of love to somebody else. By looking out towards others rather than yourself, it opens the door, both in your own heart and in your community, to share the gospel. And this is what the Christian life is all about. Because Christ has already secured your future. You know what's going to happen. Like Paul, you can say, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Who cares what happens to me? I know what's going to happen to me. I am going to be with Christ. We have it all. You're going to be with him in paradise. Not because of you, but because Christ loves you and because he has covered you in his life-giving blood. And so, with the days and the years that we have left, let us share that, that love. Let us share that life that we have with others. Let us humble ourselves so that people may see Christ through us. Let us humble ourselves, even when it's inconvenient, even when it's difficult, even when it's annoying, so that those who are living in darkness, those who are scared about what is to come, who are unsure of what is lays in their future, that they can find comfort and the only one who can provide true comfort. To live is Christ and to die is gain. So this week I want all of us to try something. Before you complain, pray. Pray before complaining. If, you, if you're somebody who likes to post things on, on social media, uh, whether it's be about masks or complaining about some kind of politician or some leader, before complaining about the current situation, this week I ask you, before you post anything, pray for those who are currently in the hospital because of the pandemic. Pray for those who have lost businesses, who have lost livelihoods because of it. And especially pray for those leaders who are having to make tough decisions. Decisions that I don't think any of us would want to make. Life-altering decisions. Pray for them. That they may be guided by God. That they may receive wisdom. And even if it has nothing to do with the pandemic, if it's just some snarky meme, if it's just something about somebody or, or whatnot, pray for them. Pray for, that, for them that they might be uplifted. And once you say amen, decide whether or not that thing that you're about to say, that thing that you're about to post, if it's going to open or close the door for someone to, uh, to, someone to hear the gospel. Now, I'm not somebody who likes to post on Facebook. I don't really do social media. Uh, I am there, but it's mostly to stalk people. Um, <laughs> uh, but that doesn't mean that, that uh, if you don't post on social media that you're any better. I still complain. I still talk behind people's backs. I'm, for one, and, and I love a good gossip. It's hard for me to resist. But what good does that do? It doesn't do anybody any good to complain. It doesn't do anybody good to gossip. It just hurts people. It lifts ourselves up and lowers other people. And when we lift ourselves up, all anybody sees is ourself. All anybody sees is you. That's not what we want. We have nothing to give. We have Christ. That's it. 
And so before you complain, before you gossip, before you, you, know, you, you say stuff, pray for yourself and pray for those that you're going to talk about or for whatever the situation is that you're going to talk about. Pray. Just like Pastor Zardi was talking about uh, two weeks ago. In everything that you do, share the joy you have in Christ. So pray often. Just, don't just pray for the things that you need or the things that somebody that you love needs, but give thanks to God. Give thanks to him for the things that he has done. Ask for forgiveness, for the selfishness, for the complaining that you have done. And then praise him for the unrelenting forgiveness that he offers to you. This is the joy that Christ gives to us. And we can carry that joy, we can carry that forgiveness, that life, and that, that, that thanksgiving into all the conversations that we have in our day-to-day life. So, when we do this, when we live differently, people take note. People notice that thing, that, uh, that kind of stuff. And, and, and that opens up the door for the gospel to be heard, for the gospel to be shared. Our life, our hope, and as we've been talking about for the past two months, our joy, it flows from Christ and the life that he has given to us. This is what we have. He has taken care of all of our needs already. He's done everything. Isn't that the most joyous message that we could share with people? Jesus Christ has done everything for us that we are able to say to live is Christ and to die is gain? It is. There's no greater message than we have. And so go share that message. Go share it both in what you say and what you do, both in the hard times and in the good. And as all of us do this, let us go with this blessing that Paul gave to the Philippians at the very end of his book, at the very end of this letter. He says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your son, that because of him we have all that we need. We know what's going to happen to us. We know what lies in our future. Lord, help us uh, to keep our eyes focused on your love and on your life and not on what we feel that we need and on what we feel we deserve. Lord, humble us. Allow us to see uh, the needs of others. Allow us to empathize with others, whether we think it's it's, it's, uh, it's reasonable or if it's, it's plain, just plain silly. Lord, help us uh, to love them and what we say and do. And Lord, uh, finally, I just ask that you use us to shine your life, to shine your gospel and the hope that you bring to us and all that we say and do. All these things we pray in your name. Amen.